Duck Territory Podcast. Matt Prem and Eric Scopel here talking Oregon football, Oregon basketball, some recruiting. Eric, how's it going? Pretty darn good. We should mention I'm not across the way anymore. We should yes. probably mention I'm, I'm at my house. <laughs> yeah, we've got some new podcast gear. Uh, and so hopefully there's no technical issues and hopefully it sounds better and and, and, and whatnot, but we're not in the same room anymore. We're not even in the same house anymore, which is, uh, gonna get some getting used to. Um, but nonetheless, here we are. And I miss you, Matt. I, I miss you. <laughs> it, this feels so bizarre. Yeah, it was funny. You, you asked if you were coming over and I was like, well, you can if you really miss me, but I, I mean, I was expecting us just to do it like we're doing it now. Well, and actions speak l- louder than words, and you can tell that I'm si- sitting at home and, instead of in front of you, so <laughs> that might tell <laughs> Uh, for, for non-subscribers, I want to encourage you guys to go to duckterritory.com. Uh, you can sign up today for $1, get 30 days for $1, a 30-day membership for $1. It's pretty much as cheap as it will be anywhere else on the internet. Uh, no one else will match that. And then if you also want to sign up for an annual subscription, we've got a, a, a one-year rate where it comes out to being $6.26 for each month. Uh, that's just crazy cheap. And so I highly encourage you guys, uh, if, if you don't subscribe, give us a try. Or if you are a month to month subscriber, uh, you can switch to annual and save a lot of change in your wallet and go doing something fun with your family or, or treat yourself to some, you know, round of golf or whatnot a year with, with your savings. So, uh, highly encourage you guys to do that. Uh, good show today, Eric. We were just talking about this, what we were going to talk about. Uh, NBA draft is coming up. For uh, the NBA, I believe that's June 20th, which is on Thursday. Uh, and then there's going to be a couple guys worth watching, Bull Bull, Kenny Wooten, uh, and Lewis King. Where do they go in the NBA draft? Uh, what are, what's the latest buzz around each of those guys? And then we're also going to talk uh, some Oregon football recruiting. Uh, there has been uh, some commitments that have, have happened over the last couple of days. Uh, and then we're also going to go into Eric's uh, position rankings going into the summer for this Oregon football team and kind of where things stand there. Uh, but let's let's dive in with, with basketball first, um, since that's kind of like the most important thing coming up this week that we know that we know of. Uh, what's kind of what have you been able to, to glean you know, from all the mocks and all the, the NBA workouts and, and whatnot on kind of bull bulls? I guess status in the first round. He just got invited to the NBA draft as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, and that's a that's a big indicator of they expect he will be taken in the first round. I know there were some kind of his stock and the whole thing has been hard to follow because it, you see one week it's oh he's he's maybe a second round guy maybe the teams don't even want to take him in the first round. The next week it's oh man he's got you know, the third highest upside of anybody in this draft. And then the next week it's, oh, man, he only weighed 208 pounds at the combine. It's just been so many storylines around him. And obviously that's what we do nowadays in, in sports reporting. You, you talk about all the things that could go right, could go wrong, and you analyze it. But it's been hard to sort of project. But I think the fact that he has been invited, like you said, to, to actually attend the draft, that's a good sign he is expected to go probably in the first 25 picks or somewhere in that range. He also um, held a workout last week that was, uh, was I guess, by invitation only with NBA executives and coaches. That reportedly went very, very well. There's some uh, video online. I posted a story 
Um, you can go check that out. Um, so some, some, some positive stuff going on, but I think I saw this just a couple of days ago. He's still probably one of the more mysterious prospects because he could yeah. kind of go where Troy Brown went last year, back end of the lottery, 14, 15, somewhere like that, or he could fall to maybe Portland at 25 and maybe he stays in state. So there's, there's wow, a, wouldn't that be awesome? That would be, that would be really cool. I mean, uh, I think, you know, the, the amount of, it's funny because, I think people that watched him through nine games are still like, why are we talking about him like he's not one of the top 20 guys in this draft? Yeah. Because what he did early on last season, like, he was a stud. I mean, he was, like, probably the most impressive individual talent I've seen in Oregon, Oregon have since I've been watching Oregon basketball, or, you know, for at least for a long, long time. And it's been interesting kind of seeing him fall like that. But, yeah, if he were to stay in the state of Oregon where he already has, I think, a pretty large support base. That would be, I think, huge both for the organization from a hype perspective, but also from the organization from, I think he could be a really good player and a really good fit in Portland down the line. Whether or not that's even realistic, we'll see. That 25 pick is kind of considered the back end of his range. He's probably going to go somewhere between, like I said, like 13 through 2022, but certainly not impossible that that's kind of where he lands. And, And again, Somebody that's probably the hardest or among the hardest guys to read about where he might actually end up going on Thursday. I think Bull's going to be that guy that, and it's sliding scale. Wow, he went that early, you know, or it could be wow, he really fell. I didn't really think he was going to fall that far. I think he's going to be one of those guys that it's a whoa moment when he gets picked. I don't know if, um, I think for the most part, everyone's kind of got him pegged to go somewhere like. 16 to yeah. 22. Like most mocks have him somewhere there. I, I think he goes before or after those numbers. And I think he's going to be a guy where it's going to, when he gets picked, it's going to go, wow, you know, our mocks are showing us that he could have, you know, this team could have waited seven more picks to get him. Or, you know, I'm really surprised he fell, you know, just to, to the second, second to last pick of the, of the first round type stuff. So I, I think you're right. He seems to have the biggest sliding scale, and I think he's going to be one of those whoa guys in the draft. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it'll be really interesting to see, could he even sneak into kind of that top 10, 12 range? Because I think what you've, if you've been reading a lot of the reports out there, it's that a lot of the negative stuff around Bull is coming from teams that actually really think highly of him. And it's possible that there's a couple franchises, and you see this every now and then, that are almost kind of trying to sabotage his status with other teams in order to have his stock fall to them at like the 11th or 12th pick or something like that. I wouldn't be shocked if that happens, if we see him come off, like you said, a little earlier than we expected. But again, he remains the ultimate mystery, just yeah. like his career at Oregon was, where it was a little bit unfulfilling. I could see him going pretty high. I could also see him being kind of at the back end of that first round. Lewis King, this is one, uh, he has no idea where he's going. No. Uh, you, you posted it on, on duckterritory.com. He worked out with the Portland Trailblazers, which I kind of think makes a lot of sense because they need guys that can hit three pointers, especially those corner threes that are very, you know, the easiest shot in the NBA from a three point standpoint. And that's one of his skill sets. Um, and it, I don't know where he falls and he himself said he could go anywhere. Yeah, he, he said in the interview yesterday that he, he could go anywhere from 15 to 40, which is basically <laughs> the entire draft. Uh, <laughs> which is basically, the, basically he could go at any time. And I think that's reasonable. Like, again, another guy like Bull, where it's like the upside is probably really high here, but teams don't really know what to do because the uh, sample size at Oregon wasn't the greatest. He played 
one season. He missed about the first 10 games with injury. He really wasn't at full strength until probably mid-February, and then he was really great for the stretch run for Oregon. Uh, I think he's he's hard to project. At the same time, I look at him and go, like, he's kind of what the NBA is looking for. He's, like, 6'9". I think he's got decent upside as a defensive player. And like you said, he shot, like, almost 40% from three this last year at Oregon. He could be that 3 and D guy who is, you know, the fourth best player on a pretty good team who spaces the floor and and guards some pretty good players. But it's hard to project again. And, And like he said, I do think, I don't know if he, I don't know if 15 is realistic for him. I all the mock drafts I've seen have had him kind of in that like 31 to yeah. 45 range, you know, early 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 second or kind of mid second. I think that's probably where he goes. But maybe there's a team, maybe it's Portland at 25 in the first round again. We keep throwing Oregon guys with Portland, but they've worked these guys out. Maybe maybe it's a thing where Portland keeps their eyes on him and, and they, a couple guys that they were looking at, you know, aren't still there and they take you know maybe a bit of a stretch on a guy like King, who again. He was a big-time recruit, obviously a talented guy, has ties to the state. An interesting prospect, to say the least. And, again, I agree. I, I, I am very, very I, – I would not be surprised if he's in the first round. I also wouldn't be surprised if he's, you know, still in their late 40s, maybe even into the 50s. I haven't seen him in the first round at all, so it, yeah. it would surprise me if he went 15th. Uh, I mean, I, I think that's just some you know positive mojo trying to, to be developed there by Lewis King. Um, Kenny Wooten, correct me if I'm wrong here, but there really isn't any mock out there yet that has him listed even in the second round at the end. No, I haven't seen one. And, and the Athletic yesterday released a top 120 prospect. I think they had him 97th out of 120, and obviously 60 players are selected. So that means, at least from their analysis, he's a ways off. So, um, you know, one of those guys where obviously the athletic tools are probably good enough, but there's just a lot of questions about everything else, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. I think we're both kind of, and at least everybody out there analyzing the draft is sort of expecting he doesn't get picked on Thursday. Then it's a matter of does he end up on a G League roster? Does he earn a roster spot by playing really well in the summer league or in the G League? Does he play overseas? There's a, a variety of things he could do, but this was sort of what we felt when he announced, I think somewhat surprisingly, a, a little over a month ago that he was saying in the draft of it, it doesn't feel like there's a ton of sense that he's going to be picked. So it's kind of weird he's stuck in it. But obviously there are a multitude of, um, you know, reasons that go into these decisions. And, and obviously he made what he thought was the best one. Sure. Uh, let's go to this position rankings for going into fall camp, which, as crazy as it sounds, is about six weeks away. Um, let's start out with number eight. And so this is, we're building a list, uh, from the lowest to the most important or highest rated. Uh, so you have in last place special teams, um, at seven, it's wide receiver, tight end, six running back, five defensive line, and then at four, you have linebacker. Um, I agree with you with the special teams. Um, I look at this group and, New kick returner, new punt returner, uh, place kicker was not necessarily a strong point last season. Punting was just okay. Um, just a lot of question marks, a lot of new positionals, you know, that are going to be open for this group. And it's going to take some time, you know, for this group to get used to what they're doing. Uh, the one that I'm, I'm curious about the most out of everybody is probably the next two positions here. Uh, at number seven, you have wide receiver and tight end. And then at number six, you have running back. 
I, I have no problem with, and my question then becomes, is this without any projecting or is this saying, now, even if the guys live up to expectations, this is where this group is at? Because I think there's a possibility that at receiver, uh, it, it could be higher up the pack and at running back, the same thing, uh, once the season's over with. It's just lack of production. For me. Yeah, the, the, these ratings, and we should mention that this went up on the site, looks like on June 8th, so you're probably listening to this, has probably been out for about 10 days. You can, the story is titled, Ranking Oregon's Position Groups Heading Into Summer. Um, we should also mention that the reason we're talking about this is that Matt wanted to challenge me to a debate over my... <laughs> oh, so strong. No. <laughs> it wasn't that hard. <laughs> I didn't feel that strongly. It wasn't like, I have to debate you on, on our podcast about this. Um, but no, no, th- these were intended to be a little bit less predictive and a, mo- a little bit more of like where I saw these groups out of fall camp and heading into summer. Um, uh, I would agree with you that wide receiver and tight end does have a huge upside, but I think the thing I was sort of why they were knocked a little bit is you look at receiver in particular and, and nobody would argue this. This was a group that wasn't very good last year. Uh, right. they returned everybody besides their best guy last year and then they're re- likely going to replace a lot of Dylan Mitchell's production with guys that are going to be their first year in the program. Sure. I, I just have concerns about kind of what that looks like. I, I, you know, it would be interesting, and maybe this is content we can do later or, or, or even a little bit down the line or, or maybe even sooner, is just what what is the upside of each position group? Because I think I tend to agree that receiver is a group where if Micah Pittman and Jawan Johnson and Josh Delgado and some of these guys that have yet to enroll end up being as good as we think they could be, and then a guy like Brian Addison or Isaiah Crocker, who were highly rated recruits who, who didn't play much last year, if those guys all take steps forward, this could actually be a pretty good group. It's just right now, out of spring, I'm kind of looking at them going like, they've got very little that's proven from last year's roster, and the guys that they're bringing in are still first year in the system guys. So, so those, those were the concerns for me with that group. Tight end actually made it interesting because I think that's – and maybe I should have made it nine position groups, but I think tight end actually is a group that has a little bit higher upside, um, or I should say a little bit higher up on, on this list than, than some of the other ones, just because Jacob Breland has some experience. Cam McCormick, people forget, was probably going to be the team starting tight end last year before he got hurt. And then you bring in a couple of younger guys, and you have some other players in, in Hunter Campmoyer and Ryan Bay who, who are experienced upperclassmen. So I think that's actually a pretty deep group that has some some history of success, so that, that that actually probably benefits the the position group more than wide receiver does for me. Sure. Another one that was interesting is running back because I think if you looked at Travis Dye and C.J. Verdell and the yards that they had, um, Verdell went over a thousand, but he needed to do it in the bowl game, and he just barely got over that. Um, Travis Dye, I think, rushed for around 750 yards. Together, that's a very very good group. And so I'm curious to know what slotted them down, or is it more so, you know, the guy, the positions ahead of this group are just so much better and they're that much more talented. Uh, and, and I guess that probably bodes well for Oregon. Is there much of a of a difference then from seven to six and from six to five? I, I, six to five was tough. I, I flipped between six and five, and five is defensive line for those that haven't. You don't remember. And what it came down to me was that I think Jordan Scott is a better player than any running back Oregon has in the roster. I wouldn't, I would be, wouldn't say surprised, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if he's a first team all conference guy this year. Right. Um, some of the interior linemen that were all conference the last couple of years have graduated. Um, and I think he could step into a spot right there. Whereas 
Burdell, who I should say I'm pretty high on, and if you, if you, I did a, I think, bold prediction story, I don't know, last month or in the last couple of weeks here, and I said it's on my prediction list, it was that Burdell might have 2,000 yards all purpose because I think he's going to have a big year rushing uh, and a potentially a big year receiving, but I just think Scott is a guy that I, I think has been better in his two years in the program than anybody at running back. Um, and then you have a bunch of veteran guys in Carlberg and Cumberlander and Gary Baker um, who, who, who have been experienced, you know, pretty high end reserve to kind of borderline starting guys for a couple of years now. I think running back, like wide receiver, is a position that if you, again, yeah, if you are projecting up, it could be pretty high. At the same time, if you're projecting defensive line, the inclusion of Kayvon Thibodeau makes that group probably one of the higher because if he ends up being a elite, elite talent like maybe people think he could be, uh, that group could be very, very close to the top of this list by the end of the season. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, now let's continue with this next group of, of rankings. At number five, you've got defensive line, like we said before the commercial break. Um, and then we've got linebacker at number four, and then quarterback at number three, which might surprise some folks. Oregon secondary is at number two. And then I think it's very hard to, to debate this uh, offensive line at number one. Um, the biggest thing that stands out to me is probably going to be uh, at quarterback at number three, because everyone's going to look at Justin Herbert and they're automatically going to say, well, how could they be number three? Because they have Herbert at quarterback and he's projected to be a top 10 pick in the upcoming NFL draft. How is this group not higher? Um, your take on that question. I think that's a valid question. That's what I wrestled with a lot was I think everybody would agree offensive line probably should be number one and is yes. number one. I think that's kind of a runaway pick. I, I basically, literally, I put offensive line at one and special teams at eight and then kind of filled in everything between it because that's how kind of, de- 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 I guess, definitive and decisive I thought those positions were at the top and the bottom. Um, the reason I had secondary over quarterback is you're looking at a situation here where you have three quarters of your starters back and a lot of guys who have, uh, experience around them, whereas quarterback, you have Herbert, who obviously people are very high on, but really, to be honest with you, I think you could probably make an argument Thomas Graham has been uh, pretty close to the same caliber player, at least last year, to what Justin Herbert was, and maybe that's going to be like a, that may be a hot take thing that I should have saved for the end of the podcast, but I just think that cornerback and, and safety, you've got three guys there that have started a bunch of games in, in Pickett, Lenore, and Graham, and at quarterback, you've got Herbert, who obviously entering his his fourth year as at least a part-time starter. But behind that, it's Tyler Shuck, who I'm pretty high on, but again, doesn't have any experience as a backup quarterback. And that's really where it came down to is it's if, if Herbert, again, we're knocking on wood here because of his history, if there is something that happens with him, you're going to be relying upon a guy who, who, who at this point at least has yet to attempt a collegiate pass. And that's not a scenario that I think you really want to be in. Uh, and that's kind of why I knocked them a little bit, whereas – at corner, uh, you know, you've got two guys that have started a bunch. You've got safety. You've got two guys in, in Holland and, and Pickett who've got a ton of experience starting, along with some backup guys like Brady Breeze and Califolisi who've 
at least got some experience under their belt. Um, it's pretty close. It, it was it was one I fiddled with back and forth. I think I rotated uh, the secondary over quarterback kind of last minute because it was really tight between the two. But that's kind of my reasoning behind it is just you're, you're looking at Tyler Shuck, who, again, I'm high on, but who who's kind of yet to prove it in an in-game situation in Oregon yet. For me, I almost – I could I think I could convince you to maybe even putting linebacker ahead of quarterback. Yeah, I think you could. And it would be for the similar reason of at least die – Die is at least comparable to, to Herbert. I think most people would agree with that. Maybe you would say Die's probably had a better career yes. so far than Herbert. I mean, the stats and I posted on the site, he's probably going to become Oregon's all-time leading tackler after the season. Um, and he's probably going to be the only player in program history to have three 100 tackle seasons. Candidate um, for defensive player of the year. And I think a strong candidate for defensive player of the year. Absolutely. Um, the, the, where, where I kind of had an issue with linebackers, similar to quarterback, is you look around him and you're probably going to get Isaac Slade starting next to him. He's a guy who doesn't really have starting experience. The stud position is either going to be DJ Johnson, a guy who's had to sit out a year after transferring from Miami, or Bryson Young, a guy who, frankly, like really wasn't even on the radar his last years at Oregon. He barely played. Uh, sort of a similar scenario here where sort of the supporting cast isn't quite as experience, although they do have Lamar Winston back. But I, I just kind of look at that and, and kind of go, like, at least with, I don't know, at least with Herbert, you, you feel really good about that one position. At linebacker, you're going to be potentially starting a couple guys who, who don't have a ton of starting experience yet. I also think I, I feel more confident about the depth at linebacker, even if they're not as experienced than I do with Oregon's depth at quarterback. And that's not the knock that, you know, I don't think Tyler Shuck's going to be good, but I just think they have they have guys who have played backing up their starters um, at linebacker opposed to quarterback. And so it's kind of as quarterback, we're doing a lot of guessing. I think from an overall depth perspective, whereas at linebacker, I think we kind of know, you know, what a guy like um, I'm, I'm forgetting his name, Samson New. What, what he can do, Adrian Jackson, what he can do, Bryson Young, uh, we know what he can do. DJ Johnson was a guy that, you know, everyone raved about and he's in a position to, to start this year. Um, I, I think that there's just more understanding. I don't know if their ceiling is as high yeah. as the quarterback group, but their baseline is, is much higher than, than Oregon's from an, from an overall depth position. Yeah, no, I think going back to the whole upside thing, maybe we should do this on the fly, but if I was doing it, quarterback from an upside is probably close to the top because if we think Herbert can be a legitimate top five draft pick and a legitimate, you know, contender for some of these Davey O'Brien, Heisman Trophy, all these kind of awards, to me that is significantly better than probably any position group on the team besides maybe offensive line just because we're talking about uh, you know, the, the accumulation of all the parts there where Sewell's probably a first round talent somewhere down the line. Throckmorton could be in that discussion. I think a couple, I think I would, I would guess there's going to be at least two guys on that offensive line that are all conference players. Maybe even, maybe even three, you know, I mean, if, if Lemieux has a season that we think he can and, and finally gets kind of, you know, the, the respect he deserves. I just think that offensive line is, is hard to move off that top spot. Yeah, but, yeah. I, I almost, I think if I'm, if, from a projecting standpoint, I think we should turn this into a story, yeah. uh, and then we can and then we could debate it. Um, but from a projection standpoint, I, I think you're right. Uh, quarterback is probably a top three choice, no matter what. I would argue, though, the receiver position might be ahead of the quarterback position. 
I mean, look at the guys. I mean, Pittman and Delgado look like, you know, first team players, uh, you know, at some point this season. You've also got J.R. Waters, uh, and Lance Wilhoit, two four stars that are, that are on the team, uh, as true freshmen this year. Um, how much raving did Mario Cristobal do with Brian Addison at, at receiver this past season as a redshirt freshman? Yeah. Uh, and he's going to be able to play now this season. Uh, so, I, you know, and then who knows with what they sign, uh, for the 2020 recruiting class. I mean, they've, they've got 12 commitments right now and, uh, one of them is a receiver in Chris Hudson. And then they've got a tight end in, in Seth Figgins. Um, Hudson being a four star, you know, recruit. And looking at the guys that, that's still on the board at receiver, I, I think they could, they could be the, the most, you know, highest ceiling of, of anybody, uh, of, of Oregon's positional groups. Yeah. And I think the thing, one thing with receiver that I, I sort of considered, and I guess if we're, if we're doing it purely predictive and it's not based in kind of history, I, I just looked at receiver and went last year, we thought Brian Addison and Isaiah Crocker were going to be sure. good players. And as true freshmen, they weren't really players at all. We saw the same thing of Tabari Hines. So this is a season here where we're, you're again, relying a lot on true freshmen and a grad transfer. And last year it didn't really play out, which is part of the reason I think I even wrote in the story. Part of the reasoning was that I kind of went, okay, we thought these guys were going to be great last year as newcomers. It didn't pan out. I'm going to kind of try to learn from history and say, maybe this is a position for whatever reason. It's just hard for that, those skills to translate, which is interesting because I'd always been under the understanding that, Receiver is actually one of the quicker and more easy positions to translate over as long as you learn the route tree. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. I, I don't disagree, though. Big picture, if, if you were saying by the 2020 season, which position group could be the best, that I think wide receiver would be maybe at the top because quarterback and offensive line, you're losing the majority of your top guys. Sure, sure. All right, let's, let's get to recruiting now. Um, this Staff continues to recruit at a very high level. Um, they were 15th. They climbed up to 13th, and now they've dropped down to 14th. Uh, so it's all evened out a little bit um, over the last five days, but that's because Friday turned into a double-clack day. We have a podcast up on the site already, and we won't get much into um, uh, Trey Benson's commitment. Three-star running back Trey Benson was here for an official visit uh, this past week, during the middle of the week, from St. Joseph High School in Greenville, Mississippi. He committed to the Ducks. He's the 38th best running back in the country, the 12th best player in the state uh, of Mississippi. Uh, big get for Oregon, kind of that power back, you know, heavier back. I, I keep saying power back, and small guys can be powerful as well. So I'm just going to say, you know, the heavy back that Oregon was looking for. Uh, and then Friday afternoon, things uh, closed up with Jake Shipley out of Indio, California and Shadow Hills gave a verbal commitment to the Ducks as well. Three star defensive end. Uh, he's ranked as the 46th best player in the country at his position. He's the 66th best player in the state of, of uh, California. He picked Oregon, uh, over Wa- Washington, UCLA and a couple other Pac-12 schools. And, you know, here's, look, another guy that I think that's got a lot of potential in him. I think Benson's got a ton of potential and I think you look at Shipley and this is going to be a guy I think long term wise he could he could be a guy that that will be impressive down the road once he has a redshirt year, puts on a little bit more weight, gets a little bit stronger, gets a little bit faster and gets into the college, you know, strength program that Aaron Feld does at Oregon. Uh he he could be a really really good piece that adds versatility to Oregon's defensive line. You know, and 
you know, just really quickly, he's the third lowest rated recruit in the class. He's 861st national, like you said. Uh, there were a couple people on the site that were kind of going like, oh man, is our defensive line recruiting going downhill here? And, but I think the thing that's important to remember is that this was an Oregon-Washington battle in a lot of ways, and those yeah. are the two best schools in the conference, probably on the field, and certainly in terms of recruiting right now, and USC is probably the third one that, you, that would need to be discussed. So basically the two best programs, you know, in the Pac-12 were fighting for this guy, and Oregon yep. won out, and I think that that can't be forgotten. This is not like Oregon beat Fresno State and Washington State for recruit. Oregon beat Washington right. for a recruit, and that's, you know, that's significant. And you go and you watch his tape. He's a he's a guy who plays with a high motor. He's actually, I thought, a little bit more athletic than I thought. You look at some of the testing numbers. He ran a five one forty at the opening regional um, a couple, about a month ago, or a little over a month ago. He looks more explosive than that if you watch it on the. You know, maybe it's just his burst, but he gets off the ball quickly. He he again doesn't stop till the whistle uh, you know blows. And I, I think he's a guy who. Maybe he doesn't have that high-end upside to be like a, a star, all-conference, all-American kind of guy, but I don't think he's going to be a player who four years from now you go like, oh, that was a wasted scholarship. I think at worst he's going to end up being, you know, like in that Drayton Carlberg, uh, Gus Cumberlander thing where maybe he doesn't play much early on, but by his junior and senior year he's somebody that you're looking to um, for some stability. And it'll be interesting to see with his body. He's 6'4", 250 right now, and he hasn't even entered his senior year of high school. This could yeah. be a guy who grows up a little bit, and he ends up playing a, a different position. Maybe he ends up coming into Oregon at 6'4", 280, and we're talking about him in totally different terms. Yeah, maybe he turns into a guy that is kind of like a Henry Mondu or a Taylor Hart in that he can play defensive tackle, he can play defensive end, he can play nose guard if, if needed and gives – you know, the Oregon staff, a, a, a ton of versatility, uh, for the defensive line. That's, and look, and I, I, I use that word a ton for basketball, but it's the same thing for football. Uh, versatility is king. If you have guys that can do multiple, you know, play multiple positions, that almost makes, you know, your roster expand. It almost makes you have like one guy could be two different players. You know, it's funny you made, you made the Henry Mondu comparison, but I thought the exact same thing. And maybe it's just that they're long-haired guys that are that came in around 250 on the defensive uh, defensive line and then have a potential of growing. But I actually see that as being a decent comparison. Um, you know, with Jake Shipley, of uh, is maybe Mondu is sort of the ceiling, and, and we should remember. You know, it gets forgotten a little bit because Oregon wasn't having its best seasons, but Mondu is like arguably their maybe their best defensive player, certainly one of their best defensive yeah. players a couple of years ago. And a guy who, who was really a valuable asset for them, even though it was during a kind of a down period. Is Shipley going to be that guy? Who knows? But I, again, I, I would be surprised based upon what I saw and kind of what, what I've read and heard about him. If he's somebody who three years from now you go like, oh, that, well, that, that didn't pan out. I just think, I just think he's going to be something at the very least. Oregon's recruiting rankings, 14th nationally. They're still first in the Pac-12 and it's by a wide margin because uh, they are one of two schools, California being the other one, that have uh, 10 or more commitments. Oregon leads the conference with 12, and they currently are in first place with 197.10 points. Uh, Cal is in second with 134, so Oregon has over 63 points uh, lead against the California Golden Bears. And then Stanford comes in at third with 122.37. And, and in rankings, it, it it can be a, a deal where if you load up and you sign 29 guys or 30 guys, you're going to have an opportunity to, to be 
in that top 10 just because you have so many points and you have so many commits or, you know, you can generate a huge recruiting lead. That, like, I remember going into the 2017 season, Arizona at one point had the number one recruiting class in like, in the Pac-12 in August or late July. And it was because the Wildcats had like 22 of their 27 commitments by that point. But none of those guys were, you know, high level recruits that, you know, a lot of the, the Pac-12 wanted. For, so from an Oregon perspective, long, you know, long-winded answer to get to where I'm going here. Oregon still has the second highest recruiting average in the conference. The only school that's got a higher average per recruit is Stanford with a 91.39. Oregon's is, uh, an 89.80, which is, which is pretty solid. You know, the, their previous year, they were a 90.9, they're 0.906. So, you know, Oregon's class is basically operating at the, the same clip of talent that they were at last year when they finished with the seventh best class in school history in, in the country and the best class in school history. You know, and, and you look at it, there are currently 12 four-star prospects committed to schools other than Oregon in the Pac-12, and Oregon has six. So Oregon has got six out of 18 four-star prospects in the conference right now. They're, they're, they're just doing their business again. You know, this is an, another year you go back to 2018. I think we spoke about this maybe on a previous podcast, but if not for the Willie Taggart departure, we're probably looking at going on three straight years of Oregon being the best recruiting school in the Pac-12. And you look at the way this class is coming together. I, I think I'm fairly confident saying, I'm, and it's mid-June right now, and obviously a ton still to happen, but I think they're going to sign the best class in the conference again, and I wouldn't be surprised if, once again, it's by a decent margin. Now, I don't expect it to be top ten again, but I do think it's going to be – do you agree? Do you think it's going to be the best in the conference? I just don't see how it doesn't play out that way with the, the start they've gotten onto. Um, I'm not quite there yet. And my my biggest concern is class size. Yeah. Because I look at this group and I see, you know, they've got 12 commits. They're probably only going to have room for eight to to 10 more, 12 more tops, unless we see a lot of roster turnover between now and February. Uh, and with the understanding of guys going pro or guys medically retiring or guys transferring for more playing time. All of that could certainly happen. Um, I'm just not there yet to say that they're going to sign a class higher than, you know, a 23 guy class. So that's just very, very high. And so I'm wondering, I do think they'll, they'll be a top 15 class. Um, I do think they have a chance to get into the top 10 if they hit on some of their top targets down the road. Uh, but, but I'm not there yet saying that I feel very confident in them landing the number one class in the Pac-12. Would it surprise me? Absolutely not. Um, and one thing that you said, though, that, that kind of caught my eye of if they're not going to be a top ten class, but they could still be the top class in the Pac-12, that's a problem. Not for Oregon, but for the conference. Because as the Pac-12 conference, with the, the recruiting grounds of Arizona, with the recruiting grounds of California, the recruiting grounds of Utah, uh, this year's class of, in Washington and how loaded it is, there is no reason why one or two teams in the Pac-12 should not be in the top ten. Absolutely. I, and we've talked about this before, I know, but this is a pretty strong year out west, and you're seeing the trend continue now of all a lot of these top guys from SoCal, all these top guys from Arizona, all these top guys from Seattle, 
taking looks around and, and possibly going to other schools. I mean, you just look at the top five guys. I just pulled it up from the state of California. Justin Flo is still uncommitted. He might end up at an SEC school. DJU went, is, is committed to Clemson. Elias Ricks is committed to LSU. Kendall Mil- Milton is going to go to a non-Pac-12 school. He's already said as much. And then Johnny Wilson, a guy who could end up at Oregon, there's a chance that the Pac-12 gets like one of their top five guys in the state of California this year. Yeah, that's, that's a problem. Brutal. Yeah, it's 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 really a problem, and and uh, a lot of this is I think related to kind of the state of affairs at USC, but it, it's certainly an unfortunate thing, and and you just hope they're able to figure this out because if you were to go and, and counter and look at the state of Georgia or the state of Texas or the state of Florida, these other you know recruiting beds and other parts of the country, it's not like the Pac-12 has, you know, 80% or something of those guys, the top guys there. They have very, very little of them. So it's a trend that, again, is is concerning. And it'll be interesting to see if it does play out that way. Say maybe Oregon has the 12th best class in the country, and that leads the Pac-12. That's a sign, again, that this conference is, is kind of falling behind the times. It's good for Oregon, not good for the Pac-12. Uh, that's going to do it for Eric and myself, Matt. Here on the Duck Territory podcast, go to duckterritory.com uh, for your Oregon football, Oregon basketball, Oregon recruiting for both sports, women's basketball. Uh, we've, we've got it all. Um, sign up for our for our VIP membership for 30 days. You get you get access to the site for one dollar for your first 30 days, uh, or you could go an annual subscri- subscription and get us for six dollars and 26 cents per month uh, for your first year. Can't beat those prices anywhere else. Uh, on the internet. Uh, so I highly encourage you guys to try us out. Uh, until we do another podcast, when breaking news happens, or until next week, thanks for listening to the Duck Territory Podcast. Adios, amigos.